there's so much more. Please, like baby girl, please don't give up. There's so much more and you're worth it. Don't listen to that voice in your head that tells you you're not, you're worth it. everybody, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 229 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with WNBA player Kelsey Plum. I There's no two ways about it. I walked away from my conversation with Kelsey feeling really thankful. Firstly, that she's here to tell her story and also that in doing so, she is helping so many people, myself included. For episode 229, Kelsey shares what it was like for her to grow up in a house of athletes and the way that family competition really impacted her mindset both on and off the court. She talks to me about what it was like to be one of the best college athletes of her time and unfortunately, the negative impact that had on her. And then we really get into it as Kelsey talks about navigating a period of time where she had suicidal thoughts, not wanting to live anymore, going as far as sitting on top of a tall parking structure with her feet dangling over the edge, wondering how her family would feel if she decided to take the leap. We also talk about the hard emotions that came with draft day, something that she had looked forward to her whole life, but was nothing like she had imagined. We also touch on coming out of the fog of depression and what her best advice is for anyone who can relate with her story. Plus, her excitement for life these days, playing with the aces out in Vegas, her morning ritual that helps her see the good in each and every single day, and also her exciting new partnerships with both GSTQ and Under Armour. I'm thankful for this conversation, and I also know that it does touch on a lot of sensitive topics. So if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues, know that you are not alone, period. There are resources in the show notes of organizations like the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They offer a 24-7 hotline that you can call for help. That's 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily a body. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Kelsey Plum. How are you doing today, Kelsey? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I uh, admittedly, I'm a little raspy, but I do need to tell you that you have an excellent podcasting voice. Oh, wow. You know, this is the first time I've heard this. So thank you. It's like smooth and sexy. I've I've definitely listened to 
maybe like two to three Kelsey Plum podcasts now. And I'm like, oh, this is a vibe. <laughs> sexy. I, I don't think I've ever been told that my voice is sexy. So I feel I feel empowered right now. I figure if I gas you up from the get-go, then this is just going to go really well for us. And then also, speaking of gassing you up, you in the new GSTQ photos, I'm like, my mind is, you look also, again, I'm not hitting on you, but I'm just <laughs> telling you. <laughs> it's fire. Thank you. That was a, such a fun time. The crew was awesome. Um, it was in like a really cute like Airbnb house in Vegas. The vibe was immaculate. The clothes, dope. Made for women by women. I think that's why you kind of see the energy come out in the pictures because you feel comfortable wearing the clothes. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to experience wearing any GSTQ um, stuff, but if not, we need to put you on the mailing list. <laughs> need to get on that <laughs> mailing list. I think I have some stuff coming my way soon, but Regardless, I'm, yeah, I was like, wow, this definitely makes me want to get on the bandwagon for sure. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's what we want. For sure, for sure. And so you're a relatively new ambassador for them. And also last week, I believe, if I'm not losing complete track of time, which I might be, you also announced your new partnership with Under Armour. Yes, I'm super excited about that as well. Um, you know, GSTQ is off the court, you know, fashion, um, and then Obviously, Under Armour is on the court, which is something I'm also super passionate about. I just really believe in where they're headed and what they're wanting to do for women and their vision. It's pretty powerful to see um, a company kind of step up to the plate and want to, you know, take a swing at um, kind of this new space that we're in. Right. And so there's a ton of opportunity um, with women in sports right now. And I'm just grateful that they see what I see. And so being aligned, I think it's going to be um, a lot of good things to come. When you say this new space that we're in, what do you mean by that? I mean, shoot, where do we start? Women in sports has been, you know, growing and we're at this time right now in, especially obviously like in the United States as a woman, um, there's more opportunities than ever. So it's kind of like this, uh, middle ground of like, obviously you want to be grateful for things that have come, like opportunities that I've gotten that my mom wasn't, you know, able to have, but at the same time, uh, kind of pushing that needle forward for the next generation to come that they can have more opportunities and better opportunities than I had. And so, I mean, viewership is up on TV, WNBA playoffs were the highest viewed that it's been ever. Um, millions and millions of people tuning in, um, you know, salaries are being raised. There's a lot of being, a lot of money being put in behind women. And that's, what's so interesting about this space right now, especially in basketball, you know, the NBA, I'm sorry, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, uh, but the NBA is uh, 100 years old, right? Or 75 years old, right? And the WNBA is 25 years old. So where we're at right now at 25 compared to where the NBA was at at 25, we're way ahead without the investment. And we know that when we invest in women, it pays off. So we're, we're working, we're, we're, we're climbing and it's going to take a little bit, but um, the direction is tremendous. The direction is tremendous. To fact check here, we've got 76 years on the NBA. 76. I knew it wasn't 100. I was like, let me go back. It just feels like forever. But I echo your sentiments here about how rad it is to see finally not just broader investment in women's sports, but also just the viewership and the attention that is finally being allocated to women's sports. It's, it's really awesome to see. I mean, it is. And when you think about it, there's less than 5% of 
of uh, women's sports broadcasted on TV. So like even for this finite windows that we do have, we're making big, you know, strides. And so just imagine if we're put on primetime in a big time, you know, category, whether that's on ESPN at, you know, noon on Sunday, like there's just certain slots that we're starting to be able to get to open people's eyes. And the product's so good that when people tune in, they stay, you know, so we only need, we only need that one opportunity and we're starting to get those. And that's what is really exciting about this. Yeah. And it's been awesome for me. I mean, I live a few blocks from Barclays. So for me to be able to walk over and see the Liberty and see where it has, where it is now versus where it was and like the audience growing and the excitement growing, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And they, that's like, that's a great product that they're putting out on the floor, right? Like Barclays and the Liberty um, is a franchise that's invested. And it's really cool to see, you know, um, us here in Vegas at the Aces, we have Mark Davis backing us. And um, again, you know, I always tell people don't support me. You know, I'm not here. You don't go support LeBron when you go watch him play, you go watch him play because he can hoop. I want you to come watch me play because I can hoop. And there's a big difference between, you know, we're not here asking for charity. I don't, I don't, I'm not asking for anything. I want to earn your respect. Uh, I just need the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And you mentioned your mom before, also Mm -hmm. an accomplished volleyball player, your dad, an athlete as well. So tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in a household with two parents with an athletic background. Pure chaos. (laughs) Pure chaos. I mean, I have three siblings. Uh, All four of us play Division I uh, sports. And both of my parents did as well, like you said. And when I tell you just everything was competitive from the first person to the car to you got to finish your plate. Uh, you got to box out. So no one's taking, you know, chicken off of your plate at dinner. I mean, it's just, it got, honestly, it's, it's pretty like extreme. Um, but I do, I do know that I think that competitiveness um, has really helped you know, everyone in my family be super successful. And it's hard to uh, instill in that later in life. You know, when you, when you have an early dose of competitiveness when you're growing up, um, you just want to win in everything. And I think that translates into a lot of facets off the court outside of basketball. That perspective comes with years of reflection, right? Because mm-hmm. at the time, did you feel as though that nurturing aspect of your upbringing was always in your best interest? (laughs) Well, you know, it's so funny. Uh, You don't really notice your family if something is like out of the ordinary until you spend time with other people's family. And you're like, you guys don't do that. You guys don't (laughs) fight each other for, you know, who has to do the dishes or my dad used to, uh, we used to shoot in the backyard uh, for who had to pick up the dog poop. Like you guys don't, you know what I mean? And so I, these little things were just so normal in my life until I probably became an adult. And then you start to hear other people's childhoods and you're like, wow, that, that is not like my childhood. Um, But I, I thought my parents did a tremendous job. They were always super supportive. They were always, you know, whatever you need, very empowering, uh, very uplifting. And I feel like as a kid, when you, when you grow up with that and there's that type of like confidence, you really truly believe whatever I want to do, I can do. I just have to be able to like put the work in. So, um, I mean, I'm super grateful. My parents put in a lot of work and uh, I thought they, I thought they did a great job. 
But then you continue to go and put in a lot of work that helps you really stand in your power within that confidence. I mean, tell us a little bit about what it was like as you really started to get more and more into basketball on the court. I know your sisters stuck with the volleyball side of things. Yeah, it was definitely a volleyball family. Um, I knew pretty early. I was like, ah, this is not what I want to do. No, no disrespect to volleyball. I love volleyball, but it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't my love. And uh, um, yeah, I knew, you know, basketball pretty early on. I, I think about 10 years old, I told my mom, I told her, I just want to let you know, I will be playing in the WNBA. Um, I said that pretty early on. And I think that, um, you know, she had a choice. Like she could have said like, hey, let's pick something a little bit more realistic or, um, you know, maybe maybe had some thoughts on it. But she was very like, OK, well, let me know what I can do to help you. And uh, I just really appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest and the fastest and the strongest, but I think that like, you know, competitiveness, what we talked about earlier, that is really the difference maker in a lot of ways. And so I don't plan on losing that anytime soon. (laughs) What did that level of support look like in practice when you tell your mom this at 10 years old, and then you go on to become such an accomplished player, even at a young age, what did that look like? Was it attending your games? Was it practicing with you? Tell us a little bit about that. Both my parents were super involved. I mean, um, I think what I admire most looking back now is that they had said, listen, whatever you want to do, uh, we're in, but you're going to have to like, tell us, we're not going to like schedule you and sign you up for all this stuff. So I remember I would, I would be like 10 or 11 and I'd have to find the, the team on Google, call the coach, tell them, Hey, I'm coming to tryouts, fill out the paperwork, print out the, <laughs> do, you, do you remember the map quest? Like print of course out, I remember the map quest, Kelsey. Print out map quest, staple it, hand it to him, tell him, hey, listen, we gotta be there at 8:30. So that means we gotta leave at 7:30. And this was me from you know 10, 11, 12. And I think that like ownership and level of independence, as we both know, like in anything in life, right? If you if you do the work to get to that point, you're gonna practice really hard because you had to. Map quest, find it, call the coach. Like it matters to you. You're invested, you know? So I think my parents taught me that uh, really early to be invested and whatever you do, like do with all your heart. And so um, I think that that was one of the things that I took from them. Uh, But they were, I mean, every tournament, every practice, every game, somebody was there. Somebody was straightened off. Somebody was there. Yeah. It's impressive that at age 11, you had the concept of leave time mastered. I have friends, like even in my mid-20s, when we would have a plan and I'd be like, no, but just because dinner's at 7.30, you have to leave at Mm 6.30. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, God. Trial and error. It wasn't always always that smooth. I tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you... Excel would be like an understatement in high school. You are named a McDonald's All-American. You qualified to participate in the All-American Girls game. Do you know at this point when you commit to going to Washington that this is truly going to be like, all right, I'm heading to the WNBA? I just never had a plan B. Um, Looking Mm. back now, it's always something that I'm like, that was really ballsy. Like, because... I didn't realize the jump from high school to college 
in the terms of the competition and the skill level, and then also the jump from college to pro. I didn't factor any of that in. I just kind of was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. But yeah, I never had a plan B. I just, I just was, I was in. And I think that's why it worked. Cause I was never, anytime it got hard, it wasn't like, ah, if this doesn't work out, I'll go back to school and get my degree and whatever, or I'm going to try this. It was like, nah, this is hard. And yeah, but are you are you meaning to tell me that you never had one of those moments like being a kid, being heavy in sport that you wanted to throw in the towel? I I just don't think I ever considered another life. And I know I know that sounds absurd, but No, I mean, I think it's admirable. Yeah, looking back now, if I if I like for example, I think if I was a mom and I had a daughter that was saying what I said, it would be really hard not to interject not in a way of like I don't believe in you but just like hey honey like let's let's also think about this or that and I was just my parents were I'm sure they thought it but I was just in and I've just been in and I'll continue to be in until I decide I'm done with it (laughs) until I decide I'm done with it well I don't want to jump around too much but you go through your college career and you finally get this moment, this big moment that you were thinking about since you were 10 years old to play in the WNBA and you get drafted and it's not what you envisioned. Mm. Tell us about that. I prepared my whole life for that moment, kind of like what we talked about, right? That was only like the only thing that I really like fully believed in and I knew I was going to do. And I felt like when I got there, I was supposed to feel like kind of relieved, you know, or proud or um, excited. And actually, when I finally got to that moment of being drafted, I felt so empty. Um, I realized that my full identity was just caught up in performance and basketball and accolades. And that was my value. And I realized pretty quickly in that moment, I'm like, I'm, I'm in trouble. I don't know exactly how to get out of this right now. And it took me years to get out of it. Um, but I, I was in like a hole in terms of like depression and feeling just very low about myself. Cause I'm like, if this is all I can contribute to the world, like I, I don't love it. I don't love where I am right now. And so I think that that was a pretty low moment for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what would you say contributed to this sense of basketball being your identity, especially in the years leading up to that moment, perhaps during college? I think that as I performed um, in college, just kept getting better and better. Um, The surrounding people, not necessarily um, intentionally, but they, their identity of how they see you is the value that you bring to the basketball court. And really as a human or as a person, it's um it falls to the wayside, you know? And so I just kept performing and playing better and better and better. And I just felt so neglected as a person. I felt like people didn't see me as a human. Um, and so I felt kind of like a people pleaser, like maybe the better I play, the more that I'll get like love or attention or, you know, support. And I think that it was a combination of obviously I'm young and I'm trying to go for something that's pretty gutsy. But at the same time, I felt like I didn't really have anyone to lean on um, 
in terms of like, no, don't get me wrong. My family and friends were super supportive. I just think they knew how to support me with basketball. You know, it was kind of like yeah. nothing, nothing really else got like mattered or which now I think about the big picture, everything else matters a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you at the time vocalize any of this to anyone? I didn't tell anyone. I was, uh, I was being treated heavily for depression and anxiety and suicidal like ideations. Um, I was on medications, sleeping medications, and I only had talked to my uh, psychologist about it. Do you remember the day that you made the decision to tell your psychologist about what you were feeling? You know, it's so interesting because it, it kind of happened accidentally. I was working out. I was about to be a senior in college. I was running on the treadmill and I, I like felt like I had like these massive chest pains and I almost like passed out. Right. And I'm in great shape and great health. Like this is really abnormal. They did EKG, they did blood tests. Uh, then the doctor brought me into the office and kind of closed the door. And he was like, Hey, listen, um, before you react, I just want you to think about this. Um, and at first I'm like, I thought he was going to tell me that I had cancer or, you know what I mean? Like I'm rolling through my head, figuring out, he's like, listen, um, all these symptoms that you have and all these things, um, we can't find anything on your labs other than he was like, I think that, you know, if I were to diagnose you, I think that you're dealing with, you know, severe depression and anxiety. And, uh, at that point in my life, I had never even heard that before. You know, like it just didn't exist in my world or any, like my family, I had never heard of that before. And so I kind of just blew it off, but it was like a thing in my head that like kept, it didn't go away, you know? And so for months I'd shoot on it and push it to the side. And we, as we all know, you know, if we've ever been to therapy, like if you have something and you neglect it, it's just going to keep growing until you address it. And that's what did it. Basically, I was kind of forced to address it. Yeah. Also, you mentioned suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. Did you experience those before or after you decided to start using maybe medication to deal with the repercussions of your depression? It was both. It was both. I, I uh, had it before and then um, started taking it. And, you know, I felt like a little bit better for a while, but then like I, I didn't. And I definitely had thoughts after. So it was, it was really uh, before and after. I don't feel like the medication really treated my, you know, my issues. I think that's what's so often not spoken about, about treatment for anxiety and depression is two part. One, the fact that it does take a while for that medication to start working, right? So usually by the point that someone says, okay, I need help, they're so desperate to feel different. And then you have to go through this time period where it's like, oh, but this isn't just going to be the flip of a switch. And that is so frustrating. Oh my gosh, it's such a great point. We don't talk about that enough. It's like, we think that it's like with Advil, like you take it and then 20 minutes later, you feel better, like your headache or backache or whatever. That's what I thought I was getting. And I did not get that. And uh, you're right. I also don't feel like I addressed the, because you can address the symptoms, but I wasn't addressing the root of the problem, dealing with, you know, things in my childhood, emotional stuff, things I had never talked about, uh, my feelings. Um, expressing things. And so I feel like 
I obviously now looking back understand that dealing, and I'm not saying this is with everyone, this is with me, but dealing with those root issues then took away my symptoms. When did you first seek out therapy? I first sought out therapy after being, so I was kind of like talking to a psychologist, but it wasn't, I don't think I was fully bought in. Um, I think I started talking to someone like on my own with my own will and, you know, wanting to get better after maybe year two of being a pro. Oh, wow. So a while after you recognized that you were dealing with all of these issues. Yeah, it was a while. It was a while because I, I kind of always came from the idea of like, if you want to figure it out, fix it yourself. I didn't like it was a pride thing, but it was also like a shame thing. Like I I can't be telling people that I'm dealing with this. Like I have a, a wonderful life and I have no excuse to be feeling like this. And so it's just very like shame. I didn't want to be expressing that type of, you know, what I'm going through, how I'm feeling. Yeah. And that's totally understandable that you felt that way because you were performing so well. So for you not to want to show people what you felt as at the time was a sign of weakness. Again, it's totally understandable. Yeah. I mean, I, I look back now and I, I really wish I had a better understanding. And that's why I feel like now I'm so open with my journey because I, I didn't fully connect. Like it's been a lot of growth in the mental health space in terms of like talking about things, but still there's a stigma, especially in college sports about like, just dealing with it and getting to the next day. And, and there's not a lot of like mental healthiness, I would say. And so uh, for me, I feel like anytime now I can reach out and talk to um, kids that were in my spot um, to just tell them like, listen, this is like this, this, you're not alone. You know, I thought I was completely alone. And I think that's why people don't share. Totally. Totally. So if you were to think back to that time, maybe around the time that you got drafted, what, do you recall, like, if you were to look at yourself in the mirror, what did you see looking back at you? A shadow, just empty, no identity, just didn't know who I was, didn't know what I liked outside of basketball. Very, uh, just very sad. Yeah. That's not me. That's not my personality, you know? And so I just didn't even recognize who I was. Yeah. Again, so understandable. So you mentioned, of course, like, let me know if you don't want to chat on this, but you also mentioned having suicidal thoughts. Did you ever genuinely get to a place where you almost acted on that? Yeah. Uh, there were multiple times where I was, you know, on bridges, looking over on parking structures with my feet dangling. Um, and I just, I would sit there for hours and just think about like contemplating what, uh, what would happen, you know, like, and I, I think the, one of the biggest things that stopped me would be like, how would my family feel if this was over for me, you know? And so I think that that always was a big thing. And then the other thing that, that really always brought me back was feeling like there has to be more and I can't not experience it before I'm my time is up, you know, like there's gotta be more. And so I felt like in those moments, those were the two biggest thoughts that always hit me, but definitely moments 
where I contemplated many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in that thought process, there's got to be more. How did you come back to that resounding thought on the night of the draft when I know that it was anything but what you expected it to be? I feel like for me, I like, I mean, I'm going to be honest from the draft until I finally felt relief was three, four years. I mean, it was a, it wasn't like, like you said, a magic switch. And I was back. I honestly think tearing my Achilles, uh, was one of the biggest blessings. I still tell people that to this day, uh, that happened to me because I was able to like, for the first time in my life, sit down and like completely reset. You know, when you tear your Achilles, you're out of basketball for at least eight months, like at least. So I'm like, what else am I going to do? Like, I need to like re-identify what's going on spiritually. I needed to connect better with God. And, and I just felt like it was the best reset that could have happened to me. So another really introspective or perspective moment where I'm sure at the time was as though basketball was the thing that you quote unquote did well. It's so interesting. I tore my Achilles and obviously I was really upset because it hurt and I knew that it's a serious injury um, and you're going to be out for a while. But I I pretty much after that felt relief. Mm. I feel like, okay, no one's expecting me to do anything right now. Um, I have all this time to like, find myself and just reset my life. I felt like my life was going in a completely different trajectory than what I want, wanted it to go. And it was like an opportunity to just reset. And um, I'm so grateful for those like life-changing months, life-changing months. I'm not the same person. I'm not the same partner. I'm not the same daughter, friend, teammate that I was pre-Achilles. Um, and that was because of the time I got to really look inside and dig deep and figure out who I was going to be. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, my friends at Gooder. Gooder makes fun, fashionable, and functional sunglasses that are super affordable. They are no bounce. They are polarized. I mean, let me just talk these up for a second. So comfortable. And like I said, so affordable starting at just $25. Plus they've got a style for every taste. I talk about this all the time. I am big on this like large aviator style that they call operation blackout, but they have so many different picks ranging from more classic sleek styles to something a little bit more fun, like glasses with tacos and pizza slices on them. Yes, seriously. Of course, they have a deal for you. Head on over to gooder.com slash hurdle. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle and get free shipping today using the code hurdle at checkout. Again, that is gooder.com slash hurdle to get free shipping today using code hurdle at checkout. Also got to give some love to my friends at Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable and companion app that specializes in breaking down your recovery, your sleep, and your workouts. Every single morning, 
Opening the Whoop app is one of the first things that I do because in there, I can check out how the app breaks down my sleep along with other key health metrics like resting heart rate. And then based on that, Whoop gives me a daily recovery score from zero to 100%. So I know how ready my body is to take on the day. I have been wearing my Whoop since April 2019 and I... I'm hooked on it because it is completely personalized to me. The longer that you wear the device, the smarter the algorithms and coaching feedback get. Whoop has helped me prioritize the positive routines in my life and the data around the negatives has helped me cut out some of the habits that hurt my sleep and recovery, like eating too close to bedtime, alcohol consumption to an extent, and also blue light exposure. I am hooked on my Whoop. I am a dedicated user, and I know that you could be too. Do something good for your life. Start tracking your health, wellness, and fitness at a deeper level today. Head on over to Whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. And use code HURDLE to save 10% off your order. Again, Whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Use HURDLE at checkout for 10% off. I want to talk more about what that digging revealed for you. But before I do, something that you hear often about individuals who go through a time of deep depression and anxiety is that they don't have a lot of recollection or memory from Mm -hmm. that time. Do you feel like that holds true for you from those two, three, four years after getting drafted until this pit stop in 2020? 100%. Even to this day, I'll have people come up to me. Hey, do you remember? I I really couldn't tell you. I mean, like obviously, bigger bigger events and like where I was in the world because you know, I don't know if you know WNBA. We play six months in the W and then we go play in Europe. So, out of those like three and a half years, I was in Turkey. So I'm already isolated away from my family, dealing with depression, like heavy stuff. And so those years over there, I. You're right. I feel like I blacked them out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I can totally, I can totally relate. I uh went through just when I think back to moments of my childhood and even like early college, people will say things to me and I just have no recollection. And that's why to this day, and I'd be curious to know if you have one as well. I have such an active journaling practice because I never want to experience that again. Mm. That's, I mean, that's so great. I, I write in my journal every day now. Um, but back then I didn't have any of those tools. I don't know about you, but I was lost. (laughs) So yeah, I, I, you're right. I don't remember anything from those times. And, uh, I don't know if that's like a coping mechanism that the brain does to like totally survival or get us out. Um, but yeah, I look back on those years and they just are, they're just blanks to me. Blanks, blanks. So you talked a lot about finding yourself after the Achilles injury. Again, that was in June 2020. What does finding yourself look like? What did you start to discover? Well, I think the first thing and most important thing was my relationship with God. You know, spiritually, I felt so drained. I didn't feel like I was producing any joy. And I, so for me, um, I knew that my value has got to be outside of basketball and it's got to be more and I'm good enough regardless of my performance. And so I think figuring that was number one. And then number two, figuring out, okay, basketball, 
I can't do that every day, all day. And I don't want to be, you know, the person that's not well-rounded or doesn't have any hobbies outside of basketball. So I feel like tapping in more with my relationships, like in my life, my friends were big, definitely like spending more time with my family, uh, getting outdoors, being more adventurous, trying new types of foods. I mean, I was just pretty much opening up myself to like, yes, let's do it. Let's try it. Experiences and stuff like that. So those were all really big things that I started to like really just be present in. I don't think I was present before. As you know, being present is like life-changing in certain moments. When you're present, you can enjoy something to the fullest. And I had never done that before up until that time. You played in the 2020 Olympics and you're a gold medalist. Would you say that you were present for that? I was so present for that. That was why to this day is one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had because that Achilles injury and then coming back and then being able to play and then win it uh, for your country. I was so proud of myself for that journey, you know? Um, and I know that it wasn't about the gold. Like I was proud that I was present playing and yeah, I happened to win, but it wasn't, that wasn't like the reason I was proud, if that makes any sense. So yeah, that it was an amazing experience, life-changing for sure. Chat us through the other aspects of navigating injury. So many people listening to this episode right now have certainly been on the bench, on the injured list. For you in that rehab, how could you focus on letting go of the things that you couldn't control? That's such a good question. Um, what I didn't realize in my Achilles rehab process was how many people are hurt or get hurt. You know, I think that we think injury is like sports. That's not true. That's, and I didn't know that because it was my first time having a serious injury. Um, I had so many people reach out to me on social media um, and ask me about advice and questions and then also thank me when I would talk about what I was dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. I think the biggest thing in rehab that I try to tell people um, is that every day is a new day and you have a choice. When you get up, you can decide to, even if it's like a little bit of progress, you can decide to be a positive affirmations, joyous person and take steps forward, or you can play victim and feel sorry for yourself. And if you pick the second one, I promise you, it's only going to take you longer to come back. So I, I feel like people that I tell, regardless of what they're rehabbing, make a conscious decision uh, through your process and then keep yourself accountable every day and have people around you keep you accountable to approach it with a positive mindset. And uh, and be gracious to yourself because it's it's every day is not going to feel like you won, but it's about you getting up and keep going and having that attitude that's going to get you through. It's especially beautiful to hear these takeaways from you specific to the victim mindset, mm -hmm. because it is super clear that for so many years you lingered in the victim mindset. Do you have any other takeaways from your experience of shifting out of that to a place of power that you can offer? Wow. 
That's so good. Replacing that mindset with uh, you can, we talk about joy, but the gratitude. So I feel like, you know, every day I get up and I write down 10 things I'm grateful for. And I feel like that starts my day with a, with a mindset of opportunity, gratitude, joy. Um, and that translates, we all know people that when they walk in a room, they give energy. You want to be an energy giver. And so I realized that that starts with me and how I conduct myself before I walk outside. And so, um, and I try to be super uh, creative with my gratitude stuff. Like every day can't be the same 10 things. You know what I mean? Give us an example. Oh, shoot. Okay. Today, um, I'm grateful for, um, it stopped raining. So it was, it was pouring down last night. So it's a beautiful day outside. Um, I'm grateful that I get the opportunity to go work out. I know that, you know, with the pandemic, we never thought we couldn't go places before, you know? So that's like, I, I'm grateful I get the opportunity to work out. I'm grateful for this hot shower in the morning. Um, I'm grateful for, I get to see a couple of my teammates later today. I'm grateful for that I get to rehab with, you know, professionals like PT that are high level and can help me. I'm grateful for breakfast. Just like, I mean, shoot, anything. Like, <laughs> Anything, you could pick anything, but I think that it, it makes it so much like it's just so much more present about the things that you never really noticed before. And what I'm hearing you say is that these items on the gratitude list don't need to be large, right? It can be small stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I'm thankful that I get to do this with you today. Um, <laughs> like, I'm thankful for uh, Trader Joe's sparkling water. I don't even feel like these days I write down, sometimes I write down big things, but I try to make them just very like things you barely would think about. You know what I mean? And that to me, you just appreciate those things. And that's what makes up a great day. It's truly beautiful. You you said and spoke so fondly about your experience at the Olympics, but if you think back to that time and we're talking about coming out of the fog, so to speak, do you have a recollection or a memory of a specific time where you noticed that you were changing, that you were shifting into this new mindset? Ooh, that's a great question. Yes. I remember um in my Achilles rehab, I was cleared to walk. I was so excited to walk. Like I never thought ever I would be ha just happy to just walk. I know it sounds like, like just remedial, you know, but I, so I remember I was walking and, um, that they're filming me so then they can have me look at it and see, cause you want it to be aligned, you know, like your steps. And, uh, the, my PT guy, he's pretty funny. His name is Bobby. He was like, you walk like an orangutan. <laughs> and I was laughing because like, he's right. And I, I could have taken that as like super, like, uh, like I don't walk right. Whatever. I was hyped. I was like, this is the best orangutan walk you've ever seen, you know? And I think in that moment I realized I'm like, wow, that's growth. I didn't even think about taking that as a negative. You know, I took that as like a, just something that made my day, to be honest. And so that was when I think that shift was like, oh, this work that I've been putting in is it's, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Growth will always be challenging, but when you can find the little silver linings and see it in action, 
Like I had a really hard day a couple of weeks back and a thing that I do as someone who lost a lot of weight back in college was that I still, when I'm going through something hard, like I always reach for food. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I decided that I wasn't going to walk to like the cannoli spot that I love to go to, but I like saw this other store that was selling this ring that I had been targeted for on Instagram. And I went in and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to buy this ring. And now like I'm wearing it right now. And I look down and I think about that that's growth, right? Like growth is making the decision to do something for you that feels good, knowing how you'll feel later because of that action. That's huge. And you having the awareness to see that in that moment is just, that's, that's growth too. Oh, it's growth too. So now 2021, you come off the bench. <laughs> You're back <laughs> in the swing of things. Finally yeah. helping, let's call it a career revamp season. Yeah. Now that you're present in your body and in your power, how did that really feel for you? You know, it's so funny because I was, uh, when they told me that they wanted me to come off the bench, I was pissed. <laughs> uh, here I am. I just want a gold medal. You want me to come off the bench? <laughs> um, and so I remember that was a that was another growth moment that I was like, okay, I can either complain about this or I can just have the best bench season that we've ever had in the league. Why would you, for those that may not understand, why would that be something that you'd complain about? So, I mean, for basketball, it depends, but 90% of the time your best players are starting. Right. And I'm competitive, obviously. And I was one of the best five players on our team. And for the sake of the team, it was better for me to come off the bench and bring like energy, scoring, that type of stuff, than for me to start um, with the unit that we had. And so um, it was kind of like a sacrifice. Like they were gonna like we're gonna bring Kelsey off the bench, and this is what's best for the team. Was it best for me individually? I don't know. Um, but I knew in that moment um, it was an opportunity to grow. And I learned a ton. I remember thinking, thinking like, okay, I've never come off the bench before. Um, and, you know, you, you don't have compassion for people that come off the bench that like maybe make mistakes or, or do something wrong or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and so I think it gave me a great perspective that I had never had. And then coming into this year, I mean, I, told, I made it clear by my play. I was like, there's no way you can bring me off the bench. Um, and they didn't, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, uh, it was, it was great because I finally, I felt like I had a lot more, um, compassion for a different perspective of a role that I had never played before. Yeah. Another role that you've never played before. Speaking of kind of having a better understanding of yourself. I know I asked you at the time back in college, when you looked in the mirror, what you saw now, when you look in the mirror, who is it that you see looking back at you? Who are you aside from being Kelsey Plum, the Aces basketball player? I look and I see someone that is a very unfinished product in the best way. I feel like that growth mindset that we've kind of talked about, um, that awareness is something that I'm continuing to grow in every day. And and I feel like with my journey, um, definitely passing that along, right? So someone else can 
maybe not have to go through as much as I went through. Um, when I look in the mirror, I'm proud because I don't think about my value or identity in basketball. I just don't. And that's, that's to me is like the greatest accomplishment that I've ever had. Um, and I know for me, like my, my focus these days is figuring out how, figuring out how I can impact others, uh, figuring out how I can use my story and use my journey, um, to help people, not just in basketball, but in life. Um, I'm really passionate about, um, you know, giving back and figuring out ways that I can help, especially like young girls, um, having that kind of mentorship that I maybe didn't have. Um, so, so those are the things that I'm, I got cooking up in the off season, obviously along with training and stuff like that, but that's, that's my focus. I love what you're saying here about making it your personal mission to give back and also to do whatever it is within your power to help others, specifically women, not feel how you felt. Mm -hmm. So provided the platform, what do you say to the woman, the young woman that is dealing with so many of those thoughts that you struggled with back in the day? I would say first things first, take a deep breath. Didn't even know how to breathe back then, you know? Take a deep breath. And I would say you got to give yourself some grace. Whatever you're going through, you got to give yourself grace. I don't know how I got through it without it before, you know? Um, so those two things right off the bat. Uh, the other thing is, too, is um, I feel like surrounding yourself with people that are uplifting and that can help you in your journey is more important than I ever imagined. Um, you need to hear a consistent basis, not just within yourself, your self-positive talk, but around you, that you're doing great. And it's not like the fake rah, rah, rah. It's real. You know, we need brothers and sisters like lifting us up. And so I feel like for me, um, telling young girls like, and I can be that resource for them, but also having people around them that are bringing those, um, you know, positive consistent reminders of that they're they're beautiful they're confident they're great whatever they want to do they can do it um so i think those three things off the bat are big gaping holes that we can help fill just initially and then obviously there's a lot more but those things to me stand out i love what you said earlier as well about knowing that how you walk into a room your energy matters. And what you just said, touching on the people that you surround yourself with, their energy also matters. Their energy impacts you. For someone who may feel as though they're kind of stuck in mm -hmm. a situation where the energy is just not right, mm -hmm. how does someone break that cycle? How does someone make a shift to seek something that may be better serving for them? That's a great question. I think First and foremost, having that awareness is key. Also asking yourself, is this person helping me be better? Is this person helping me grow? Um, and we're not, I'm not in the business of like, Heisman, like I have no place for you in my life. You know what I mean? Uh, but I just think those questions are super important to ask yourself. Um, you know, and we can all like, we we all know like as humans, like you're you're giving me energy right now, right? I can feel it. 
there are times when there are people that take energy. And so just having those understandings and awarenesses of like, man, why do I leave and I feel worse? Mm. How do you feel when you leave someone is the most important question to ask yourself. And also not for nothing, sometimes you kind of have to Heisman. You do. You do to a point. And there's a, I think there's a way to do that, but, but, um, but yeah, absolutely. I, I think that I've definitely over time just separated myself from people that maybe were talking about other people or tearing people down or being negative or, um, not helping me grow. And so I think that that to me is like, huge. Like if you can weed out some of that, you'd be amazing how like it kind of is like, oh, okay. Like, you know, and then obviously you bring people in, but I think you got to get some of that stuff out before you can bring some stuff in. How does it feel for you now to be in this place where you know you have this genuine opportunity to help others Mm -hmm. that your words have weight? I'm humbled. I wake up every day, wake up every day and I thank God for it because I know that um, it's a privilege to be able to speak to people and to share a journey. You know, I think in the moments in these journeys, I questioned a lot like, man, why am I going through this? Like, wh- like, why me? And that victim mentality. Right. But now I think I look at it more as like, man. I'm so grateful that I got to do this because I've been molded into a better woman for it. And, um, like I can, I can really help people. And so I feel like I just feel humbled and I make sure that when every like room I walk into, I'm bringing the energy. I'll tell you that. Like I, I, you will find me with energy. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care. Like I'm bringing it because I know that it's a lot bigger than myself. But let's be real for just a second. Yeah, let's be real. There there are going to be days where you wake up and you don't feel so shiny and uh-huh. so exuberant and so ready to bring it. So what do you do on those days? Well, I'll tell you one thing. That's that happens. I I'll tell you what though, I'm not going to I'm not going to take energy. That's just like a standard. Um I also think too that um if I'm not focused on myself, like selfishly, like, oh, this is how I feel, or I feel down. I've learned that that selfish mentality of like thinking about how I feel, when in reality, I can be thinking about how other people feel. Um, Even if it's one person, it's like, okay, what can I do to help so-and-so today? Or like, what can I do to, it doesn't, I don't have to, you know, be the sun for a hundred people today, but I feel like I can bring something. I can bring something. I know I can. And you're right. It's There are certain days where you're just like, I don't have it today. And I'm not going to fake it, but I'm definitely still going to figure out a way to make an impact somehow. How do you give back to you? I think it starts with me. I can't give unless I'm taking care of me. And so I think that kind of what we talked about earlier of like those practices, journaling, I meditate every day, I pray, um, my, I do my gratitude practice, um, having that awareness and that presence that all starts with me. And so I feel like I've learned that if I don't have joy and I'm not bringing that, then I can't give. What gives you joy right now? 
Oh my gosh, so many things. My relationship with God, my family, my beautiful, my beautiful man, <laughs> um, <laughs> my friends, my teammates. Gosh, I feel, I mean, I could go on and on about the things that bring me joy. Just, I feel like I'm floating. That's so special. Uh, in this off season, what you got going on? Oh man, where do, where do we start? Uh, I actually, you know, it's crazy. I actually had sh uh, shoulder surgery. Oh. Nothing, nothing's as intense as the Achilles, but a little cleanup. So been rehabbing that. Um, so any of you rehab people, I'm still in it with you. <laughs> um, I'm doing that. Um, we got some great things going on with just Hugh um, that will be coming out, you know, periodically. Under Armour, I'm really excited. We're going to be launching some new stuff, so be tuned for that. Also, what we talked about earlier with making an impact, with, especially with young girls, um, we're going to be hopefully launching some camps and different, you know, activations, um, hopefully locally in Vegas as well as, you know, around the States. So look out for that. And then also, you know, working on trying to be the best player in the world. So <laughs> a couple things, you know, <laughs> just a couple of things before I let you go, just to dial it back for a second, because I know you spoke about how difficult it was to be back in college and for so many people to look at you like for your worth mm. as a basketball player. Now you go online, I go to your Instagram, you've got over 600,000 followers. How do you navigate that space on a regular basis in a way that serves you? That's a great question. Um, I've had to set boundaries. Um, I know that social media can be a great thing and it also can be something that really helps us, uh, kind of bring us down, you know, in a way of, we don't mean to compare our lives to people, but we do, you know, it's like inevitable. I think that I don't touch my phone. Obviously, like if I got to like call or text someone, it's a little bit different, but I'm saying social media, I try not to touch my phone before noon in the morning. Um, and then I have my notifications off and I try to not to touch it an hour before bed. Uh, so definitely setting those boundaries uh, for me, I feel like has been super helpful because it's like a healthy dose. You got to see what's going on. You obviously want to connect and support people um, and also share what you have going on. But there's a limit to that. I would say that is number one. And then over two, number two, that is tough for a lot of people is oversharing. I feel like for me, the value of having a little bit of privacy in my life is priceless. And the older you get, like, I'm sure, you know, like peace is something that is just, it's worth more than anything. So I, I feel like having that peace of my personal life, um, has been really, really healthy for me. So I encourage kids like, yeah, share, but just, is it at the sake of oversharing, you know, maybe just ask yourself some of those questions, um, and maybe it's not just kids, it's, it's everyone, but, uh, specifically like college, high school, that age, you don't got to overshare to be valued. Yeah. And, and knowing that you feel that way, I feel even more grateful and thankful that you feel that sharing your story and what you've been through in terms of your mental health is the right share for you. 
-hmm. I think that is truly just the most beautiful thing because you're at a place now in your journey where talking about these things truly resonates and feels right, like in your chest, deep in your soul. Mm. It does. And it wasn't always that way, you know, and I feel like the more comfortable I've become in my own skin, uh, the more I feel, like you said, I feel empowered to be able to share and uh, grateful for the opportunity to come on a platform like this and share. Um, and so I would say, you know, for people uh, that are going through it, um, when you feel like you're ready to share, your story is very powerful and you you really don't know who's listening and who you can help that can connect to you. So just just know that you're not alone and just know that uh, your story matters and it needs to be heard. You know, I, I wind down and I feel like you've offered a lot of really great advice so far, but in this context, maybe it'll shift just a little bit. Right now, you have the opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice. Let's say sitting on the bridge of the parking structure with your legs dangling over the edge. Knowing what you know now, what do you tell yourself at that hurdle moment? Oof, I just got the chills when you said that. There's so much more. Please, like baby girl, please don't give up. There's so much more and uh, you're, you're worth it. Don't listen to that voice in your head that tells you you're not. You're worth it. So beautiful. So beautiful. Kelsey Plum, thank you so much for your time today. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me your info. Okay. Um, let's see. Since we just talked about not being on social media. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm on Instagram, Kelsey Plum. I'm on Twitter, Kelsey Plum. I'm on TikTok, which I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> Kelsey Plum. So anyways, uh, you find me. I'm very honest and very open about my journey. You can ask me anything. Um, so yeah, thanks for tuning in. Kelsey, don't mislead the hurdlers. You're on Instagram as Kelsey Plum 10. Okay, but I'm saying if you type in the name, it'll come up. <laughs> See what she's trying to do? She's trying to hold up her boundaries. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I'm over at Emily Body and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>